0: The Blue Bomber Podcast. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com.
1: Saturday, I guess it's evening, Derek Taylor, the Edmonton Elks. Come to town, I, I suppose the sun will already be down, but six o'clock versus seven or 7:30 just feels a little bit different. I'm excited about the game, not necessarily for what we might see on the field, but because of the implication:
0: Yeah, I, I am too. I wish it was Saturday afternoon though. like Saturday 3 p.m sounds good to me.
1: Saturday at 3, 3 p.m. yeah, there was something uh, nice uh, about those afternoon games. I, I, I'm a big fan.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, late game for the for the Jets, so that wasn't getting in the way. It's just a second of a doubleheader, right? So uh game in the East, and then uh, the Jets get the game, or pardon me, the Bombers get the game in the West, and la-la. Anyway, it's the Edmonton Elks, and I mean, there was a ton of drama the last time the two teams played, which is a part of this. There's a, a ton of things uh, around young and mobile quarterbacks that – Bomber fans have been holding their heads about for the entire season. And there's the, hey, they can they can officially win the West and get home field advantage for uh, the West final. So, yeah, there's a, there's a ton going on on Saturday.
1: Well, let's work through that list. And by the way, the Jets play the Oilers, 9 o'clock local time. So if uh, you're heading to the game, then uh, you can uh, tune in to CJOB right after DT's call and uh, catch yeah. the Jets and Oilers. So it's a, it's an Edmonton, Winnipeg, double header on Saturday um, Trey Ford I'm a little concerned I have to tell you you touched on the fact that young mobile quarterbacks uh, mobile mobile I guess it depends on what side of the U.S Canada line you are um, giving the the blue bombers fits troubles uh, throughout the course of the season and so I know we're going to see a ton of Trey Ford uh, with the ball in his hand on Saturday.
0: Yeah, and, and that's one of the things. Ford was one of the quarterbacks that uh, Bomber fans have been watching, going, are we going to spy this guy? Or are you going to leave somebody to make sure that this guy doesn't get out of the pocket and run rough shot against us? There was Dustin Crum, and then there was Ford, and then there was Taylor Powell, and then there was some Cameron Dukes in the Toronto game. And it's just been one of those things where you go, why is this guy cutting us up with his feet? So – That'll be that'll be curious to, to see, you know, if they think they can control if the bombers think they can tr- can control Ford with just their regular rush and their regular coverages, or they, they feel like they have to go to something special and let you know Kyrie Wilson or Adam Big Hill try to chase him. Problem is Trey Ford's faster than anybody the bombers' defense is gonna put out there. He is dynamic in the run game. He's he's a ton of fun to watch. Um the the part that will determine kind of who wins and who loses the game probably won't be Ford scrambling out of the pocket. It'll be, can he make plays from the pocket? And that's, that's not there yet. Let's say with, with Ford, I was talking to a, a coach in the league recently and he he's, was on the bus of, yeah, Ford's not going to be successful long-term because he can't make plays from the pocket. I went, oh, that is, that is like, that's a statement right there. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it again when, uh, when, the two, when the Bombers played the Elks earlier on. It was Ford's first start of the season in the post-Cornelius era. So now he's had some time. He's had some success, uh, win over Sask, win over Calgary, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, hasn't been going great lately as, from a results perspective. But uh, we'll see how he's progressed in the, in the weeks since uh, that, well, I guess, what was it, week 10 matchup.
1: Well, let's even just look at the league leaders and, and Vernon Adams, who, you know, can move the ball with his feet, did a tiny bit against the Bombers two weeks ago in Vancouver, 324 yards rushing on the season. Well, Trey Ford didn't start, was it the first two, three games for Edmonton, has 561 yards rushing. So, he you know, that ability to move the ball uh, with his legs, with his feet, is elite, and it has been buying him some time in the pocket as well. But, yeah, obviously, this is not uh, Conrad Holloway. This is not Matt Dunnigan. This is not Tracy Ham. This is Trey Ford in the infancy of his CFL career. And I, I think maybe a little early to jump to conclusions about how successfully he will be long-term.
0: Oh, for sure. I, I, I In conversations like that, I, I defer to guys who know you know, who've been around the game for a while and know from a coaching perspective, I go oh, at least, you know, you know, for me, I note it's an interesting opinion to take because it's, uh, it's contrary to the one my heart wants, right? <laughs> I want Trey Ford to be incredibly successful and to be this dynamic running, throwing star, but you know, whatever it ends up being, it, it'll be um, whatever it ends up being on Saturday will be a great deal dictated by Richie Hall. And uh, I mean, he, Ford has uh, all the receiver weapons and running back weapons you could want to be successful. Whether they struggle, I mean, they struggle with the offensive line like a lot of teams this season. Sure. So that's uh, a chance for you know Willie Jackson and and the gang to to get in there. But yeah, how much how much do the bombers have to commit to keeping Trey Ford from getting all those rushing yards will be a big thing.
1: Well, I mentioned. Vernon Adams and his ability, his reputation as a running quarterback, and it was very obvious. It was very obvious several times in the game, October sixth against BC, that the Bombers were controlling their rush. They didn't want to over pursue Adams. There were several times, one play in particular that that Willie you could argue had him dead to rights, but he did not want to over rush, didn't want to overshoot his rush, and basically stopped dead in his tracks to make sure that Adams was behind him, essentially. So will we see a little bit more of that on on Saturday, DT, that idea of the the Bombers? Yeah, they want to put pressure, but they don't want to over-pursue and, and get caught in a circumstance where if trade get, gets through that first level, so to speak, that, that he might be galloping for 11, 12, 17 yards
0: yeah and I mean that BC game I mean they they controlled Vernon Adams after the first uh about four minutes left in the second quarter they they controlled Adams from then on in like it, that BC offense was done at that point so you can you can have the best of both right start there were four sacks in that second quarter there were I believe a couple more in the second half so it doesn't it doesn't it's not sacrificing necessarily getting those sacks and getting those big impact plays by by being safe. Uh, which I think is probably something we we, sh- we need to note because, yeah, they uh, the bombers. Vernon Adams has is what about half as many rushing yards as uh, as Ford in the season, but is more dangerous with his arm. And the bombers were able to to keep that down pretty good in in that matchup. So uh, it's still a chance to get all the things you want to get. Willie got his first sack in nine games in that game, right? And that was a I'm when we talked to him this week. I assume that that will have been a big deal for him. to to get back on the board there.
1: So now the Blue Bombers have had a week of rest. Their last, well, it's not. It's their second last bye week because they're going to get, they're going to get hopefully one more bye week. I'm making predictions here that I shouldn't be making.
0: Uh Uh-oh.
1: So uh, I'm keeping it on the record though, DT. Uh, I fully expect the Bombers going to wrap things up this week against Edmonton and host that West final. And we've had multiple conversations throughout the year in terms of why it's so important, because there were several times in the season where the idea of hosting the West final at IG field was feeling like it was slipping away from the blue bombers. But now you're exactly where you want to be. You've got two weeks left, two games left, and it's all in your hands. You need zero help from anyone else you just got to win one of your last two games
0: yeah win one of your last two games you could have bc do it for you by uh, by dumping the game on friday night but yeah no, it's the bombers are they are where they want to be right because we've talked about before the massive advantage it is just to host the west final and sure they've done it the long way but nobody wants to do it the long way um three teams have, have gone to the gray cup via the number three seed. So, uh, um, oddly enough, they've all actually won the Great Cup they went to, but it's just such a such a taxing role. And, I mean, for the way the Bombers have been, pretty healthy. Okay, well, one less game is great for continuing that health if they get out of the final two games with just about everybody intact. So, yeah, let, uh, let BC risk itself in a game against Sask or Calgary. I can't believe that one's still up for grabs, but let them risk themselves in that. They're... Going to be massive favorites at home, but you know, every once in a while, a 12-point favorite gets upset. So you know, hey, hey let's uh, let let BC deal with the stress of a whole new opponent while the Bombers have two weeks to know what's coming. So yeah, taking care of business Saturday. I think we I think we all fully expect that's what's going to happen. But take care of business and just you know, if there's a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter, just Please start getting guys out of the game. Start getting the most important players out of the game because health is the only thing that's going to take this off the rails, this run to a fourth straight Grey Cup appearance.
1: Well, I'm thinking about 84. The Bombers have, in my lifetime, uh, twice won the Grey Cup the long way. In 84, they did it. They uh, beat Edmonton at home and then went to Vancouver and upset the Lions in the West final and then went to Edmonton to beat Hamilton in the Grey Cup, and then, of course, we know what they did in 19, Regina, Calgary, or pardon me, Calgary, Regina, Calgary. You don't Mm -hmm. want to have to go Vancouver for the West Final and then say you win that, and then you've got to fly basically all the way across the country to Hamilton. You know, the geography in 84 and in 19 wasn't a big deal in terms of completing that. Improbable run or those improbable runs uh, from that point of view. But the travel mm-hmm. this year, that to me, that's a huge issue. Winnipeg, Vancouver, Hamilton in a matter of probably 72, 96 hours max.
0: Yeah. And just, everything, everything. I I never want to leave home. I think about, I would rather just stay home all the time. I would rather not ever go out Just stay at home. All my stuff is here. I'm very comfortable. I know what food is in the fridge. So I, I as a football player, I'd be exactly the same.
1: You know what? You summed it up. Conversation we've been having for, for 17, 18 weeks. Now you just summed it up in uh, nine words. Uh, I know what's in my fridge. And I like uh, I know which side of my pillow is cold, so I, I want to be home. Um, so you, you're comfortable with uh, the way things are shaping up here, Edmonton. What does frighten you? Like you know, we've always had pretty much in every game maybe something that could go sideways for the Bombers, and let's leave health out of it. But is there yeah. anything that that concerns you with regard to the Elks? Other than Trey Ford?
0: I mean, Everton has a, a really powerful, powerful receiving core. Uh, when when the season started, I, I was wondering, okay, is it going to be the Bombers? Will it be the Elks? Will it be the Lions? Who's got the best group of receivers in the Canadian Football League? And, and things have not in any way panned out for the Elks this season the way I, I thought slash hoped they would. But it's still, you know, Geno Lewis and it's still uh, Dylan Mitchell who... Though as much as he's down this season, was was a lethal force for them last season. Uh, Stephen Dunbar, I don't believe, is back from injury yet. But Kyron Moore was in the end zone last week. You know, okay, well, there's something, and well, there's Manny Arsenault just doing the, the things that he does. There's the University of Manitoba was Gavin Cobb getting mm-hmm. getting into the end zone uh, a couple weeks ago against Toronto, and you go, okay, there's there's some there's some weapons here. So there there is the potential for. For things to go well on offense and opportunistic defense, I mean Chris Jones is is known for that. And A.C. Leonard, Jake Sorensen are are a nice duo on that defensive line. So they're not without talent. Apart from Trey Ford, right? They they do in spots have some real talent. But they're, I mean, ultimately they're a four win team for for deserved reasons. They're they're not they're not the, they're not the bombers. So, I mean getting down 22 nothing in that first that first matchup or the matchup in, in Edmonton. Oh, okay, that's not great, but I never, after the, the comeback started, I, I turned to Ed Tate, who was doing the game with me, and said, I feel like this is a race to 23 now because I didn't think there was much left for the Elks once the Bombers decided they were going to turn off the tap. And And honestly, there wasn't. There was one more touchdown, and the Bombers won that game by two scores. Okay, well, these teams are in a different class, so Apart from shooting yourselves in the foot, I I don't know how I don't know how concerned I am going into the game. Um, during games, concerns might arise. There might be six what was it? Six six at halftime, the home
1: game against the Elks this year. Yes, Whatever it weird was. thing
0: that was was we passed in the booth at
1: halftime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've seen yeah, that a that couple was... of different times this season where at halftime, you're looking at, you know, you and I'll be looking at each other and we give that, we go, what the heck? Who? Which team is this? And uh, the Bombers have gotten over that for the most part, but I, I'm still concerned about their lack of ability, at least lately, to convert convert long drives into touchdowns and settling for field goals versus getting touchdowns. That That BC game, for as close as it was, really based on how the defense played, uh, you mentioned it. Sort of that cutoff was about ten minutes into the second quarter. The bombers were just so good after that, and there, you know, those those turnovers—really uh, three of them in the red zone, uh, two fumbles in the red zone. That game mm. shouldn't have been close at all, based on how the bombers were able to move the ball. They just couldn't punch it into the end zone, and and we had similar concerns about the game against Toronto, that the Bombers' uh, red zone success, uh, traditionally very high. I think they're like a 60-plus percent team in the red zone, mm, have not been that for their last two games. So that might be the only thing where maybe Edmonton hangs around is if the Bombers, uh, once again, are unable to convert what seem to be obvious seven-point scoring opportunities into into three or zero.
0: Yeah. And, and this is, as it plays out, this should be their last chance to get uh, get things in sync, right? Because uh, they win this week or BC loses, and the final game against Calgary doesn't mean anything. And it's a road game. And typically, you know, the last couple seasons, the Bombers, when they haven't, you know, the results of the game don't mean anything in the standings, they've said lesser squads on the road for these games, or they've just reduced the amount of time that, say, Zach Kolaris and the starters on offense would play i think it was 21 the final game all three quarterbacks saw action in that one and you know you just you go this okay well this then is your last chance with your top five receivers and your best five offensive line and your top running back and and zach to to have it all together because we're going to want to start to ensure that guys will be healthy and anybody who's a little bit nicked will get that week 21 game against the Stampeders off so that you are in fact ready for the West final, so that, that means, hey, it's your final chance to to hang fifty on the board or whatever the whatever the number might be, right? Just to be at your absolute, you know, uh, banjo bowl first half level peak of six touchdowns and six drives in the, in the first half of that one. Because after this, uh, we'd like you to not play in Calgary. Is kind of my perception of of how my guess as to how they'll handle that one. So uh, this game against Edmonton ends up being you know, pretty big as you go forward and go, okay, BC's not a pushover if we play them in that West final. And then if it happens to be Toronto in the Grey Cup, or even if it happens to be Hamilton in the Grey Cup, uh, remember what Hamilton did to us, and they actually look better than they did in that game in the, in the Hammer. So, yeah, it's uh, important for, you know, making sure everything is working the way it should.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. It's uh, probably more important than than just getting and clinching first place and clinching the West final on home turf. There are a whole lot of other reasons why the blue bombers want to go out and perform well, have, have their mechanisms and their systems and everything working exactly as they should, because, well, we saw what happened in the 2021 West final. Uh, Was it six turnovers against Sask? It was. And uh, you know, as I've, been apt to say strange things happen on their way to coronations and you have to go you have to guard against those things when you are the perceived favorite on so many levels uh you just you, you can't read your own headlines you can't believe your own hype and I know this team is really, really good at those things. And so uh, that's what I'm going to be looking for on, on Friday is just that the fact not playing down to the level of the other team and, and this team doesn't necessarily do that very often. It happens once in a while, but I'm not anticipating it this week. Otherwise, it's going to be setting off all sorts of alarm bells. Why don't we take a little pause here because I have a question for you about the waggle from an NFL fan who's trying really hard to be a CFL fan.
2: I'm Skyler Peters. Welcome into the film room. Throughout the Winnipeg Blue Bombers run of dominance over the past three and a half seasons in the CFL, the adversaries have changed. Someone has stood in the way of the West each time. And each of them have fallen. And it certainly seems like the team the Blue Bombers had to beat to get to Grey Cup 109 last year is going to be the team they'll have to beat to head to Hamilton this year. But tonight could go a long way to determining whether or not that'll involve another business trip back to Vancouver. Or more of this here at home. November 13th. 2022, and the Blue Bombers welcoming Nathan Rourke and the Lions to DC Winnipeg. Blitz, they'll rush six. Kalars standing in there, dumps it off to Jones at the ten. Runs around him. Jones gonna score into the end zone. Dalton Schoen, touchdown. Brady Oliveira stepped up and gave the O-line a hand with a great chip block, allowing Zach Caleros just enough time to throw it over the middle to Schoen, and the rookie sensation did the rest. The Bombers thought they were right on the doorstep again soon after. Whoa,
0: and now it's blocked. Bombers special teams, that's the job. They'll hop all over it. After review, we have Major foul, rushing the kicker.
2: Lots of booing from the crowd as Winnipeg successfully blocked the punt, but Tanner Cadwallader hitting the plant leg of BC punter Stefan Flintoff. Punt blocks in the previous years where we didn't even touch the punter, so yeah, um, we can absolutely coach it and we can be better at it for sure. The Bombers wouldn't allow BC to do much with that gift but they soon gave up another.
0: Keon Adams made the tackle.
2: Grant let it bounce. It hit him in the foot, and Matthew Betts makes the recovery. A cold day and an uncharacteristic mistake from Janarian Grant. Antonio Pimpkin would punch it in and tie this game at six. The Bombers would use a fumble recovery and field goal to get back in the lead column, and then the Lion Killer was ready to make good. On his earlier mishap. Good punt from Flint off middle of the field at the 16 is where Grant takes it 25.
0: Going to the edge 30, 35, 40, still alive, 50. Into Lions territory, he cuts back. Janarian Grant needs to get around the punter. Janarian Grant
1: is going to score, and the crowd at IG Field is going nuts.
2: Janarian Grant's second of the year against BC now 16-7, to and without the offense on the field, the Bombers weren't done making statements. Rourke has time,
0: gunning into a tight picked off, Winston Rose took it away, forcing the turnover.
2: But the Lions would not go away. First a rouge, then a field goal, and then following a Dakota Prukop touchdown, a 110-yard return by Terry Williams off a missed Mark Leggio convert to get a big two points, and more importantly, send a statement that BC wasn't done yet. It left the coach frustrated. I just think there was a lot of plays where it looked like we coached no football IQ whatsoever. And um, we got to be better. So the Bombers hoping the defense and the run game could hold off the Lions with a quarter and more to go. Just one first down for BC in the second half when they got the ball on their own 13 with nine minutes left. A promising drive, but it ended in the hands of the other guys.
0: Rourke steps up. He's going for Rhymes. Jump ball. Lawrence hasn't intercepted.
2: But the Bombers would soon turn it over on downs. And on third and three, the Canadian Phenom delivers.
0: Straight drop, four-man rush. Looking inside the end zone, it's Hollins, and he walks into the end zone for the touchdown. Alexander
2: Hollins gets the touchdown, and it's 28-19. The Lions would still need another, and the Bombers would give them that opportunity. Rourke with the football, starting a drive from the 14 with 90 seconds to go. A season-saving scramble on third and two. And again, with no time left on the clock, closing time.
0: And that will end the game with the tackle by Dietrich Nichols. BC made it exciting, but the back-to-back Grey Cup champions will
2: get a shot at a third straight. The drive for three straight, alive and well. And not only was IG Field the loudest I've ever heard it on that day, but it was the loudest sporting event I had ever been to. Obviously, the atmosphere was unbelievable. Our our fans really brought it tonight. The execution, far from perfect. But when it mattered most, the Bombers knew they could rely on the pillars of this dynasty, a bulldozing running back and a ball-hawking hungry defense. Right now, I can just picture the one run where he gets stuffed pretty early. The guy's lifting up his leg. It's in the fourth. And he maintains, bounces off one foot, puts his arm down, and gets another three. You know, puts us in a more manageable situation. He was he was excellent. I thought our defense was just unbelievable all night long. Oliveira with 167 total yards. And Nick Dembski getting in on the rushing attack as well, and making some key catches too. Something about these Oak Park boys in the cold weather. You look at the weather conditions today, I think this is, you know, this is what we do. Um, we heat up at the right time, and in this weather is when we get really get going, and it was an entire unit out there, just uh, working together, and uh, made it possible to, you know, establish a run game pretty early on, and uh, just keep on, keep on pounding the rock. And the Bombers knew they were going to need that again, heading to Saskatchewan in late November with a third straight Grey Cup on the line. I'm just grateful, man. I'm just grateful to be uh, playing the sport, grateful to be a part of this organization, and, and grateful to uh, to have the teammates that that I do have. It's an unbelievable group. Most of that group still here today. And while it won't be a third in a row if they get it done this year, the fire that burns for a third championship is still there, and it's white hot. But again, an MOP candidate in orange on the other side, hoping that doesn't happen. Tonight is likely not the final chapter in the book. These two teams are co-authoring, not even close. But this matchup at BC Place has all the makings of a game to remember. It's one we've already been waiting for for months, and the West Division hangs in the balance.
1: All right, DT, I promised you a question about the waggle. One of my best friends lives in B.C., huge Dallas Cowboys fan. Had him at his first Blue Bombers game in probably 20 years earlier this summer. He, in fact, bought himself and his whole family Blue Bomber gear. They're, you know, they're pseudo Blue Bomber fans. He's from Manitoba, so he's always had a soft spot in his heart for the Blue Bombers. He'll watch the games on TV. But the other night he was watching a game with his sister-in-law BC Lions who was BC playing last week I'm trying to remember was it Hamilton BC
0: played Ham- beat Hamilton by a field goal
1: right BC Hamilton I was at a at an event so I didn't see the game I was tracking it closely and so my buddy John <laughs> says to me yesterday on our uh, daily phone call he says what is the deal with CFL receivers being offside on every <laughs> single Play. I just don't get it. Is there an unwritten rule that you just don't call this? Please explain to those that might be confused or have others in their lives. You just go, this doesn't make any sense. Because I know when I watched Ray Elgard for years, I swore he was offside on every single play. But that was, you know, part of my disdain for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders that I would watch Elgard, in particular, how does that play work? What makes you offside? What keeps you onside? And is it something different than most people think?
0: I I think it is, in fact, different th- than most people think. Um, so basically, sprinting toward the, li- the line of scrimmage, and the second that ball moves, you're allowed to break the line of scrimmage, right? It says in the rule books that if you do that, if you break it, if you go past the line, you're offside the rule the rule book also explicitly says that uh, that a player gets a yard worth of distance okay so if there's an extra yard on the other side of the line that if you're still within that okay you're fine and then i don't have it in front of me but when i was looking this past weekend uh you're allowed to have your head or your arms past that yard it's your it's your frame that they're looking at being past that one yard so it may look like your arms are well past that or your head is well past that one yard buffer that you're allowed but you're still according to the rules onside even though you may in fact be past the football so it's it, it is troubling for fans because it looks like when guys are then running at top speed your eyes trick you a little bit of going well the ball's now at the quarterback and the guy's 7 yards downfield like yes but when the ball started to move where was he and where where was his frame not his arms not his legs not his head but where was his frame so you naturally according to the rules you get that 1 yard of grace period and you get it for your torso and you're going full speed and it's from the second the ball flinches so it it does look a lot of times like like guys are offside but it's not one i could i could probably dig into the to the numbers this year and find out how many they've called but Uh, It it isn't called very often, and when it is, it's because a guy did not know the snap count. It's, It's very rare that you see one where a guy does know the snap count and is called offside.
1: Okay, so that's the technical explanation with all your expertise. Now, take your football expert hat off, and now it's just you and I. We're hanging out at Boston Pizza. We're watching a game are you yelling at the family to Boston
0: pizza for the third quarter? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Are you yelling at the TV? Are we looking at each other and go, Holy smokes. Are they ever letting this go? Is that, was that ever blatant? How did they miss that? Or do you think for the most part, they're getting it right?
0: I, I think I'm of the, the mind that for the most part, I think they're getting it right. I think that a lot of the complaints that I, I end up seeing are, well, you're letting this happen against my team. And then, folks not noticing when their team does the exact same thing. So I I think for the most part they're getting it right or else I mean they're going to change it, right? The officials aren't rooting for anybody over anybody else and they're, you know, they could collectively be letting all the players get away with with this kind of thing, but I really think that the officials are are better than that. And so I I think I think they're they're right to be not calling these ones because there are there are a lot of ones where you go, I'm watching and I go that really looks like, and then you go back and look at it and you go, oh, okay, well, it wasn't. Like, there are times where I'm like, how on earth can you possibly think that's a catch, you moron? And then I, I watch it again. I'm like, oh, okay, no, that is a catch. That's very well done <laughs> by the official on, this, on, the, uh, on the field there. So I think it's more, not exactly optical illusion, but just the way our eyes are, are not able to capture all the information because of the way that we are consuming the game.
1: And so my buddy said, Don't let Derek try and tell me it's an optical illusion. He knew Oh no way. he he knew he knew that this was gonna be he's obviously had this discussion. I'll put it in quotation mark discussion because it quickly turns into an argument potentially. And so yeah, he doesn't buy it. And I said, and I said, look, ultimately at the end of the day, John, if they're calling it the same way across the board, and they're calling it the same way for all teams. Does it even really matter if it's within the guidelines? To me, as long as they call it consistently, it's like an umpire who's got an odd strike zone. You know what? If you're calling that outside ball, uh, you know, a strike 19 and a half times out of 20, then I don't have a beef with it. That's your strike zone. As long as the officials are calling it the same all the time, I don't know if it makes a difference anyway at the end of the day.
0: Well, and and there I'm with you 100%. Like, if it's if that one is even for both teams, cool. That's just, as long as that's all we kind of want, right? Is just even. Okay. Well, in the BC game, when they called uh, Retta Cramdy for that pass interference early on that led to the Lions' first touchdown, I was like, really? Okay. You you can you can say that, and you can confirm it on Coach O'Shea's challenge. But you're going to have to be that tight on everything else in this game.
1: And they sort and of were.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that's. I think that's the. The. I think that's the way you have to approach right. it. Like, okay, well, if you're going to give that to to them, you need to give that to us too. You establish. Right? You
1: establish the strike zone.
0: Exactly, and I think that's a great way to. That's a great way to, to look at it. So yeah, I, I, I. In the end, like, hey. Uh, anything that gives me more offense, I'm 100% in favor
1: of. And that's what I couldn't understand. Why are you arguing against this? Well, it doesn't feel right. Well, there's lots of things that don't feel right when I'm watching a National Football League game, like their complete disregard for the kicking game and the idea that, you know, you just walk away from a punt when it's coming towards you. Nah, I don't think I'm going to catch that one. Never mind the fair catch. I'm just going to walk away from that one. I'm not even going to handle it that's the one that i love and then the whole idea of the fair catch like do the the, the nfl's learned a lot from the cfl cuz i think uh, the cfl moved the convert back before the nfl did but did the cfl steal that from college football i can't remember the chronology there but very short order the nfl took that the nfl didn't have a two point convert for ever finally put it in and now realize that it's a way to go i think coaches are realizing uh, fourth and one similar to third and one. I know you were talking about the lack of creativity maybe on fourth and one in the NFL, but that's not for all teams. I think some teams are catching on to going for it on fourth down, and you have to imagine... Oh, they're way more aggressive, yeah. Right? So you have to think some of that's coming from watching the Canadian game. I don't know why the NFL isn't looking at putting in that five yard halo and just trying to add more punt returns into the game. Because uh, I I feel like the special team side is so blah in the NFL that they're missing out on, on the one thing that differentiates uh, the two games and, and can flip the game on, on one play.
0: Yeah. I I haven't seen any explanation from the league, but I'm going to assume it's about brain injuries because those, those kickoffs and punts, are the plays where, I mean,
1: you and I are like, I'm brain injury guy. I'm a concussion guy. (laughs) I've dealt with them. And I understand why the NFL has tried is, is basically, I think the, the kickoff will be gone from that game. I thought it would be gone already. I think ultimately that the kickoff goes away, but when it comes to punt returns, why not put in that five yard halo? It seems to work nicely in the CFL. Yeah. The officials get one wrong once in a while, but for the most part, they nail it.
0: Yeah, I honestly, I, at this point, I think it would be tough for them to to start reintroducing stuff like that, right? Because there, I don't know how many kickoff returns there are a year, but I've gone entire Sundays watching NFL and not seen a ball be returned on kickoff. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Let's let's figure out a way that you can expedite this. Yeah. So I I assume it's all just brain injuries, and then the CFL uh, has has chosen to go in the other direction. And I don't know whether that's, you know what, we're fine with with the number of injuries that happen on these plays or it's so, to me, something like it's so ingrained in our game that we need to keep it is just kind of, I don't usually accept that as an answer, but it may well be that, hey, uh, the same number of players on a larger field leads to fewer injuries than you'd see in the NFL, so we're okay with this still keeping this exciting thing a part of our game, whatever, whatever ends up being the difference in the two leagues, because the CFL has made active steps to make for more returns, right. Moving kickoffs back, you know, punts can't go out of bounds until the 15 yard line now and on and on and on. Um, So yeah, it's, it is interesting, but yeah, the, the NFL, they need to steal from the CFL that thing where teams can just take the ball at the 25 and we could end this charade that, that, Someone's actually going to return a kickoff because, oh, oh, it's up! I put both my arms out sideways, and we get the ball at the twenty-five yard line. Uh, But then they would just speed this up.
1: They would lose a commercial break, though, potentially, if they got rid of that (laughs) kickoff.
0: I need, I need a thirty-second, you know, uh, a picture-in-picture commercial for hey, for State Farm. Like, uh, I don't, I can't have State Farm up here. Let's just let's just fire this up. Let's just keep her going. All right. right, you can figure out how to. How to take the money in in another spot? You can add a thirty second break somewhere. Oh, that reminded me of something. Do we have a a second for me to go off on a little tangent here? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Um, so I was at the uh, North Dakota North Dakota State football game. First time I've been down to
1: Alara Center.
0: I was, and uh, uh, Brady Oliveira and Evan Holm and Rashid Bailey were there. Uh, Brady and Evan went to UND, so back uh, signing some autographs in the pregame. Uh, they had this thing, though, that the CFL needs immediately. Okay. It, it was the first time I'd seen it, and I don't know if it's uh, all NCAA football or it's just the football championship subdivision that these two play in. But during the commercial breaks, uh, there is a gentleman who, the, who runs onto the field and plants this tall digital sign in the ground, and it counts down two minutes and 20 seconds. So everybody knows how long the commercial break is. Oh, that's like, interesting. Uh oh. because in the CFL, uh, we're we're looking down and there's a gentleman in a red shirt, a red uh, golf shirt, who uh, waves yes. an orange flag and yes. runs onto the field and then stands there. Yes. And we're like how long
1: it, he'll be there is a mystery. Okay, how long
0: is this break? Exactly, right because uh, especially for me where I'm like, oh, I didn't notice him till later. Am I going to get the r- right number of commercials? Oh my gosh, did I just hoop our producer back in the boot in the uh, in the studio? Uh, this guy comes out plump and counts down from two minutes 20 seconds. I'm like, that is awesome. That is the best thing I've seen in 2023 and get that into the CFL immediately. Right. As, there are some I'm not gonna name them, but there are some crews in the CFL who, uh, your job is to run on the field and let you know. Let the broadcasters and let all the you know, all the all the teams know that we're going to commercial break, and they are very casual about their job. They will just they're like a, they're like trying to stealth onto the field and hide behind the you know the number thirty pr- painted onto the field. Like, damn dude, help your brother out. So I, I want. I want big digital countdown sign guy to come to the Canadian Football League.
1: Does the, the, does the NFL still have the guys on the sideline with the great big orange oven mitts? I, I, I feel like that was a thing about. I feel six, like that's thing, yeah, yeah, six seven years ago. I don't know if those are still around. I, I don't watch nearly as much NFL as I used to. So, um, and you know what? While we're talking about NFL CFL, let's let's take two minutes before we go on this. You know what frustrates me? I love the twenty second play clock in the CFL, except it's never a 20-second play clock.
0: It's, it's totally fake, yeah, yeah.
1: It's totally fake. And I really, I would prefer that they do go to the NFL model where at least it's a 40-second clock, but the second that the, that the play is over, the previous play is over, that clock starts. I hate this whistling yeah. time in and the 20 second clock doesn't start especially in Winnipeg where where teams have to battle the crowd they get you know they get an unfair advantage when that when that that clock isn't continuously going from play to play would you like to see the CFL have a legitimate fill in the blank 25 second 30 second cuz it's not a legitimate 20 second play clock is it no,
0: it, I've I've contended it's fake for a long time, and people get mad because why do I get mad? Because you're right. Well, because our game's faster than than the NFL. I'm like, yes, mm. but um, it t- and here's what, for folks who who don't know why I would have a beef with it. Like in the NFL, the play is down, the 40 second clock, the play stopped, the 40 second clock starts immediately. Correct. So you legitimately have 40 seconds from this guy's down till you have to snap the next play.
1: And it doesn't matter if time, in the Canadian, the, if the clock is running or not running, sorry, DT, like that 40-second yeah. clock is play to play every single play. Sorry, continue.
0: Yeah, you're you're exactly right. So in the CFL, it's a 20-second play clock and it's legitimately, it counts down from 20 to zero. But the problem is they do not start the 20-second play clock for quite a while. In spots, so you you can get some real long 20 second play clocks in which we we try to pretend it's the fastest game uh, that there is. I just I, I just pulled up the bombers uh, the bombers game against BC just to to do some stuff here. Uh, BC runs a play at 6:48 left in the first quarter, and then their next play with presumably still time left on the play clock they run at 6:12 left in the first quarter. Come on. You go, well that's 36 seconds difference and the first play was 5 seconds long a 20 second play clock, how can there be 36 seconds between plays? How can there be 55 seconds between plays? Uh, well, because the play clock is is not it's particularly arbitrary. real.
1: It's arbitrary. It, it,
0: it is. And I mean, you could argue that well, we don't start calling the play until the play clock the play's blown in. So and what? I I kind of th- Yeah, I think well, okay, we'll get a better way of signaling it to the quarterback then, because you can use all that time and not pretend, not you know, confine yourselves to this twenty seconds. It's just, it's not real.
1: Yeah, I would rather if it
0: was real, you'd start at twenty.
1: That's right, and they don't, and and it's very rare that they do, and so okay, I actually have an ally on this, and I'm I'm happy that it's UDT because it really frustrates me, because I like you know, I like to say. Oh yeah, we have a cent. No, we don't. And it, and it hasn't been for a long time. And did I actually see the clock running on a convert a couple of weeks ago? Is that possible? Why? Uh, That's, that's the way it is. That's the way it goes. Sometimes it does. Like, is it only in the last three minutes? It doesn't run. Like, have I been watching football wrong for 40 years?
0: No, I would guess that in the last three minutes is when things change because going out of bounds doesn't mean anything until the final three minutes, right? It's uh it just the clock always always keeps going. I just wanted to pull this up uh, two four. remember there was that was it fifteen play drive uh, the bombers against the stampeders. they just sucked all the life out of the stampeders in the fourth quarter of that eight, game eight, the home game minute
1: eight forty something drive?
0: 9, 11, 13, 14. It was a 15 play field goal drive that traversed 99 yards, it looks like. 15 plays that took uh, nine and a half minutes off the clock. Nine and, go, and a half well, minutes. Fi- yeah. So, well, 15 times 20 would be 300 seconds. So, that's six minutes. If he gave six seconds per play, seven and a half minutes, oh, magically, two extra minutes disappeared. On this fake twenty-second clock that we have, so oh,
1: we have yeah, a it's... new, we have a new agenda. We have a new, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, DT? We have something that we're fighting for, a new cause. It's a new cause. There we go for the blue bomber, and then we'll podcast. work on getting rid of the rouge. Yes, you and I will Uh-oh. never agree on that, and I cannot, <laughs> for the life of me, understand. This is an entire podcast episode, and we're not doing it now. DT, can't wait to see you on Saturday. Look forward to your coverage throughout the week. And uh, let's get this done on Saturday so we can start hyping the Western Final. Western Final? Ah, they don't even call it that anymore. It's the West Final. Is it the division? Mm -hmm. Or is it the conference? Like, you know, all these changes over the years, of the CFL. It's the CFL West Final, hopefully, November 11th at IG Field. I think I nailed uh, the new... The new way we're supposed to say this, yeah?
0: Yes, absolutely. For Saturday, if you're coming to the game, uh, we are live in the tailgate zone at four o'clock. We do it based on weather, so we don't know what the weather's gonna be in the West Finals. So our, it might be our final chance to be outdoors for the pregame show. So uh come on by and see us and say hi to Doug Brown. And obviously, drop the joke where you mistake me and Doug Brown for one another. Please do that because that is that's been funny all season long. I love it. But might be our final chance to be outside and and meet you in person. So, uh, uh, if you're there, come on by the CGOB tent and say howdy.
1: Yeah, the Derek Taylor is the six foot seven guy sitting uh, to the side of the table, not uh, not behind it. DT, exactly. see you later, brother. Thanks, buddy. So that's it. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and share the Blue Bomber Podcast. And also, in case you didn't already know, Monday night's Coach's Show with Derek Taylor and Mike O'Shea will be automatically uploaded to the Blue Bomber Podcast. So if you want to catch a rerun of that or catch it and listen to it at your leisure, you can do so by subscribing to the Blue Bomber Podcast. We will recap this week's game next week and look ahead in the Canadian Football League, focusing on, of course, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers Thank you for spending some time with us.